the son of Robert Baratheon. He's the ancestral love child of Jamie and Cersei. Right, guys? Right. Yes, absolutely. But do we really know him? But surely we do because of his blonde hair and his blue eyes. That's the trademark the only of way the lion. He could ever have that <laughs> lion hair is if because if, if it was because of his incest, right? Like, there's no, there's no mm-hmm. chance that maybe Cersei was just recreationally sleeping with her beautiful brother. Recreationally? <laughs> nah. Is that like they play soccer beforehand? Hey, Mike is here, guys. Mike is here. So they have to stay in shape somehow. I missed you last week. And yeah, they do have I to stay in shape. I missed the show. I missed you guys. Did you really? I really did, yeah. I'm That's happy good. to be back. Uh, Micah, you'd be happy to know that right now I'm wearing a bathrobe in a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> it's a soft robe. And I'm sitting here, and we were talking. The reason we started with this uh, topic this week is because uh, Selena posted an article in our workflow, um, and she knows everything about genetics, right, Selena? Yeah. Ask me anything. Can you tell us the difference between a dominant and a recessive gene? Oh, yeah, I can, of course. A dominant gene is like with eyes. When you have blue eyes, that means... Wait, hold on. If you have brown <laughs> eyes... No, wait. <laughs> I do know it. If you have blue eyes, then blue is recessive and brown is dominant. So you can have a brown and a blue or two blue, but you can't have two brown, obviously. I, I did learn this once. I know it all. Or you can have a little shit with blonde hair that kills children who is a child as well. Yes. Is that like Tyrion? Doesn't he have two different color eyes? He does, yeah. but that's an anomaly. Also, he can that's, do a, uh, that's a birth defect, actually. So maybe he he's Cersei be. and Jamie's child. <laughs> Wait, are you trying to say that J- Tyrion has a birth defect, Eric? No, it's actually, I meant I meant that it's a genetic, it's a mutation. Apparently green eyes is a mutation, too. My eyes are like, uh, my eyes are gray. That's not a mutation. Mm. That's just gray. Is that a mu- <laughs> mutation or is it just boring? I think it's just boring. Do you guys think that I'm a white walker, that I'm a person of the snow? No, they have blue eyes. Oh, well then, we're good. We're totally Maybe figured out. Maybe they're Lannisters. Like me. I guess the fact that I spend my weekends marching along uh, snowy shores with crystal swords and stabbing the townspeople doesn't make me a white walker. You're like one of those, um, what do they call them, the groupies of the uh, the white walkers. Yeah, well, I'm more of a roadie. <laughs> I carry the all the sheaves for their, yeah. uh, for their swords and the little ice arrows, you know. <laughs> so apparently you can actually be both. I guess this, this, this article is like, you can have, you can be carrying the recessive trait and not, and then like still have the dominant trait in you. I mean, the the whole argument, it's sort of, it is just to come in and shake up the community really, because we know, obviously we know that Joffrey is not Robert's son, but the whole argument sort of stands and falls with the fact that Robert in this author's, uh, my, in, in this author's understanding of the series, he doesn't have enough bastards that are dark haired, which is Ned's whole argument for why the Lannister children are not his children because they're not dark haired because all of his bastards are dark haired but what she's saying is there's not enough to prove that robert could not possibly make a blonde child but i think at some point in the novel it stated he had like 20 or 30 or some ridiculously high number so i'm not sure it completely holds but it's interesting to think about it's like the genghis khan and the seven kingdoms (laughs) but isn't there that moment when Ned is sitting down going through that book and you look back at all the lineage and it just shows you that all the Baratheons yeah. have always had dark hair. Dark of hair. Mm-hmm. Dark but of they're hair. always going to marry someone new, you know? They're it always going to marry... It is <laughs> they're always going to marry someone new. I mean, the Baratheons aren't incestuous, so they can marry someone who had blonde hair or recessive blonde trait, even if they only marry dark hair people. Yeah, there's no reason whatsoever that... He couldn't have had Joffrey be blonde because Cersei is blonde, and even though mm-hmm. she's the lady, and it doesn't it doesn't mean that the the the, the child is going to take the dad's hair color like that doesn't happen all the time. Like, it would be know. difficult for the Baratheons to be in, incestuous, though. I mean, how would they, exactly would that work? <laughs> they would find someone that would be okay with it, and then they would do it. That's kind of how incest kind of happens, <laughs> and then the dragons come out of it, and then the world exists afterward, and everybody's happy. Right. That makes so much more sense now. <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. No, th- we this, this, this whole argument week. is kind of funny, because uh, it's. I think it's another stab at Ned's intellect, like kind of like how Littlefinger does in the last chapters that we read, but it's. Uh, it makes sense, because it, it, especially in the show, Ned kind of was just like, okay, Light of hair, dark of hair. This doesn't match. Um, they definitely are not his kids. You know what I mean? Like it was a very light sort of uh, sort of thing that happened. But I think that the best argument we have for the entire case, and Selena will probably agree with me, is that um, the only reason I really believe that Joffrey is not 
the son of Mr. Baratheon is because Mr. Baratheon's children, like Gendry, for example, are way too attractive. This is true. Joffrey's <laughs> just not that hot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, that's the what Ned should have thought. Been yeah, like, no. You know, Joffrey's an ugly kid. He has to be. <laughs> he's he's not he's not as physically attractive as Joffrey or Renly or as 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 Gendry or Renly. So it, like, he can't in, be in an age where there's no you know paternity test or blood sample or anything about these genes is really really known. Uh, this is all he has to go on. We destroyed a, a a good section of the books last week, and we talked a lot about a lot about Tyrion and John saying goodbye to each other. And um, it was sad. And unfortunately, no one pissed off the wall in that chapter. And that kind of made me sad, too. Because <laughs> I'm rewatching actually the first season. And I've been, when I've been exercising, I've been up on the bike and I've just been watching the show again. And I made this comment inside of my own head. I thought, man, rewatching this is better than watching most shows. Yeah, it's brilliant. It really is. And I've seen it a few times. But, um, you know, especially after us just reading this. And so I'd reach out to a lot of you guys before we start. Um, dissecting more of the book this week but um, if you have been listening along and even if you have like if you've been reading along go back and watch some of the older episodes the ones that we've actually went over and discussed like from the first season because it's even like when I saw John and Ned riding apart from each other just outside of Winterfell when he Mm -hmm. was like next time I see you I'll talk about your mother or whatever right like I was just like (laughs) wow that scene is so much better now that we've dissected it so much like it it just means means more to see you know who is going to tell John about his mother I don't know maybe Varys Mm. there is Mm. a there are a few people he would be though the the choice and and Zach you said you're dressed like him right now right you're in like a a silk robe (laughs) (laughs) pretty much yeah yeah. Is it dr- dress up like Varys Monday? Is that what this is? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to go down to the strip and just demand to go to a spa here in a minute. Like, I need a spa, please. <laughs> I feel like you would fit in there, though. You wouldn't have any issues just walking down the strip in a robe. Maybe. I probably would not. So that's that's something to look forward to once we're done today. All jokes aside, we've been dissecting the book of the first book of this entire series. Right, guys? What's this uh, What's this book called? It's very original. A Game of Thrones. True story. It's kind of what the, the, the show is named and based on. And if you look closely to the thing that you're watching, it's called Game of Owns. We forgot to introduce ourselves earlier, but it's a play on words. Oh, yeah. Because we like so plays clever. on words. <laughs> um... No, um, I, I'm done. That's all I'm saying. So someone else okay, has to well, introduce Zach, it. Zach, like you were saying about the, the, you know, the TV series being almost better than the book or watching it being, you know, better than most series, like still the book I find has these quotes that are very memorable. And we've been, uh, filling your ears with that, uh, sort of at the end of each episode with our owns of the week. And even during the show, you know, one liners, things that we liked, but, uh, I've, I have a few of them here, even in the, the first chapter that we covered this week. A John Snow chapter. Again, it takes place at the wall. And Selena, you said that you were you 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 found this uh, this chapter to be quite upsetting. <laughs> yeah, it was it was terrible. I was reading this last night, and I was fully planning to read all the chapters. And I got through the John chapter, and I was like, okay, this is too depressing. I have to stop <laughs> because Love poor it. Sam. All through this chapter, it's just like. He's like, I understand, you know, like when I first read it, I was like, oh, he's crying. That's kind of pathetic. But then reading it again, like <laughs> I realize how horrible that is because he just goes through the most ridiculous amount of crap that I think anyone will have ever gone through in this series. And he just continues I to go through crap. I don't know about that. There are people walking around with half their face burned off. Yeah, this is true, but I get. I guess you're right. This is Game of Thrones. Everything is terrible. Let's face it. Um, right. But this is particularly. It's just so. It's just such an intimate pain that he goes through. I don't know. It just really got to me. Uh, yeah, I think John. Uh, obviously, John Snow connects to Sam's pain uh, because it, it is, as you say, it's of the, the very internal sort. So I guess they're not that different, really, when you think of it like that. But essentially, I guess Sam mm-hmm. Samuel Tarley arrives at the Night's Watch and is immediately struck down in, 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 in the yard in battle. It kind of reminded me how Tyrion took a shining to Jon so quickly because Tyrion obviously knew that Jon was sitting outside at the feast, things like that. Like He knew that he was getting cast outside for being different in a way or not being exemplary in a way. And I feel like Jon sort of extended that same amount of kindness to Sam because Sam was bigger than the other guys and he was slower and he was a little dim-witted. And obviously Thorne is being a dick face as he usually is. <laughs> 
Um, just Google the image, you'll find something. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, you know, was just being kind of a jerk. And John was like, you know what? I'm sort of a jerk back to Thorne a lot because after all, I am Lord Snow. And so Pip and Grin, uh, not to be confused with Pip and Mary, uh, come out. You know, and they start helping him out, and then their whole sort of like bromance uh, is blossomed in this one chapter, the twenty sixth of them. It's just like it just happens in this one, and it's great to see. I, I thought it was interesting because Jon Snow sort of takes a, a position of authority among the other boys here. He like he he has this talk with Sam where we learn about Sam's backstory, and then like literally just grants him his protection, and goes around to the other boys, like conniving even or or or, or convincing them that they too should not attack Sam in the yard. It's like a mafia, um, you know, or at all. And, and, and it even involves uh ghost at, at, at one point, you know, with the last boy. And, and this is just really intense. That's what I would just say, you know what guys, you win. If there's a dire wolf thrown into the equation, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just, it's, it's game off, you know, I'm done. game I'm over. Done. Yeah. Rast was his name. The, the boy. Yeah, if, yeah. There's, if, if there's a dire wolf, I'm I'm gonna peace out. I heard what happened to that guy who tried to stab that stab that kid in, in Winterfell who can't walk very well anymore. But yeah. it's just so great to see. Like that's that was a good part of this chapter. This was really like a very emotional moment in in the book because we we had that terrible terrible backstory for Sam, but then we also had this amazing sort of coming together. Of the, this is one of the few yay moments in the story, isn't it? Where they yeah. just pull together and accomplish something like that. That's so fantastic. And the fact that he makes sure that none of the other boys will hurt Sam is like a big victory for John and for morality. When he first first goes up to Sam and he asks him, have you seen the wall? Sam replies, I'm fat, not blind. Of course I saw it. It's 700 feet high. You know, it's just like that scene in Sorcerer's Stone when the trio is formed in uh in that Aww. bathroom fighting the troll. It is. It is exactly like that. You're right. It's one yeah. of those perfect moments. I did notice something about the the whole sequence where where Sam sort of reveals what happened in the past and he reveals that that terrible scene where his dad is basically promising him that he would, you know, hunt him down. He says something like nothing would please me more than to hunt you down like the pig you are, which is just horrendous, but in that scene, his dad is skinning a deer, which I thought maybe was the scene they gave to Tywin, Tywin Lannister in the show. Like, that's where they got the idea. I bet you it is. Because it's, mm. omin- it's ominous if you're sitting there like, yeah, well, come here. Let me, let's thing. have a conversation while I'm disemboweling this creature. Yeah, he was <laughs> yeah. like ripping up yeah, the exactly. heart. Because you've got your killing tools <laughs> handy. I don't know if it's like this over where you're from in Sweden, Selena, but um, for some boys in their teenage years, visiting a girl's house to take her out on a date, the father likes to be cleaning a, a rifle or a firearm, <laughs> well, like in the living room. So this is sort of the same thing, right? I think I saw that in Twilight once. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Did they do oh, Twilight? Oh man, Twilight so ruins your life, everything. Your life is like yeah. Twilight. Is that what you're saying? Uh, Twilight is like life, um, <laughs> and life is like Twilight. Yeah. Twilight. So yeah, you're right. Life is like Fifty Shades of Grey, actually. Okay. Wow. The the boys are initially taken aback. I wanted to mention this. One of the first things Sam says is that he's a coward, and everybody else is kind of shocked because Jon Snow doesn't know like what kind of man would admit to being a coward, and like he has to think about it. And then he's like, "This is weird, sort of." courage to admit you're a coward and stuff and I don't, I don't know if it's courageous but like they're just immediately I guess John is disarmed by this 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 kid who has like no self you know respect or you know has a very low self-esteem for for the reasons that we learn later and I don't know I I thought this was interesting for for them to face because often you see Tyrion people like Tyrion say oh the wall is full of outcasts but you rarely get an outcast who isn't like still trying to prove that he's awesome right. um, until Sam comes along. And not only that, but he's highborn in a way, right? I mean, he's not from a, a low family by any right. stretch. He would have, wouldn't he have owned uh, – uh, he would have had land and, and, and like servants and stuff, I think. Um, and mm-hmm. in fact, his joining the Black was the only way to get his younger brother, who his father thought was more qualified, um, to actually inherit all the uh, – all the all the stuff, which is why he had to do it. Otherwise, he would have been stabbed like a pig or whatever. Is what his dad said. Right there was that as well. It's kind of sad. It is sad. It's terrible. Um, but I don't know that it's any sadder than anything else that we've seen. Oh, in this book. I think yeah, it's no, so it, I feel like we're probably meant to be a little bit more sad, sad because he is so self-deprecating and he's just like you know, kind of like pudgy and silly in a way and like fun. And like later, we get his little romance thing that he likes because a girl talks to him. He's just kind of. 
like an unofficial comic relief without a lot of comedy, a lot of self-deprecation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the heartwarming part of it is that throughout the, you know, the, and the, the end of this chapter is like spans a couple of weeks where, you know, he still won't talk to the other boys at first, even though they're no longer hitting him in the field. But eventually he does. Eventually he jokes, you know, with them and starts making fun with the group, you know, as the group and stuff. And so that's really heartwarming to see that, that John really allowed him to be in a position where he might be able to flourish after all. No, it's good. Hmm. Even though he would be much preferring bunnies or puppies or whatever the book says. He said something about kittens, which I thought was hilarious. Kittens, <laughs> bo- his passions, I have it right here. His passions were books and kittens and dancing, as clumsy as he was. Doesn't that sound like, Sam. it sounds like a modern day joke. You know, something that someone <laughs> would say now, which is, I, I love that this book is filled with so many references that I feel like are so modern. Uh, so there were two quick points I had for this chapter too, uh, finishing up, but we know that Tywin Lannister is the warden of the East. Isn't he also the warden of the West, actually? Weren't we talking about this? He's mm-hmm. the warden of the West. And they're trying to get a warden of the east is what's happening. In this chapter, we find out who the warden of the south is. It's this guy called Mace Tyrell, who, if he's anything like Mace Windu, is a bad SOB to watch out for. <laughs> but um, Mace Tyrell. So actually, and we know the Tyrells. Um, well, we know Mar- Marguerite we do. Tyrell, who's and also Loris. mentioned in these chapters as being like 14 years old and a maiden, a fair maiden. But uh, I thought that was worth noting. And then also the word that they use for coward, this whole chapter kind of got me off. I don't I wasn't familiar with this word, craven. Uh, obviously, like context clues, I was able to figure it out. But have you guys seen that word before? Yeah, Wes Craven. Wes Coward. I, so. <laughs> yeah, <West> Coward. <laughs> I don't think that works well for him. No. He ought to have changed it if he had no. read these books. But um, the reason I bring it up is because there's a character, Craven, with a K from Underworld. Uh, you know, that film, that film about vampires and werewolves. Is that um, like Twilight? His, yeah, kind of <laughs> yeah. like Twilight, a little before Twilight. Um, but anyway, his character's revealed to be, um, you know, uh, a little bit of a coward in, in his own way. So I thought that was uh, special and worth noting. We love tying Game of Bones into other series. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and you know, speaking about like other series, I just wanted to ask you about Sam. One thing that I was thinking, because I've always sort of thought that Sam Wise, no, Sam, let me see if I can get this right. Samuel Tarley was sort of a bit of a homage to Sam Wise Gamgee. Yes. Both in his in his name, clearly, but also in his whole demeanor, the fact that he's sort of the fat hobbit kind of character. But yep. I, I just, reading this chapter again, though, I sort of feel like Sam from Lord of the Rings is more sort of quietly heroic than sam well is yeah but, but i feel like sam well needs to also grow a little bit yeah. you know mm-hmm. and plus yeah. sam has has this, has this little like romance with rosie he's like too nervous to talk to her and this doesn't happen for sam well for like a book and a half or something but it so. does happen though i mean it's interestingly true. enough I mean, you said it on this episode um there's also pip you know in in the crew <laughs> yes like Marion Pippin and Samwise. So I, th- I think the um, connection can certainly be drawn. Yeah. Also, his name is George R. Martin. <laughs> Here we go again. So just, just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> there was one other thing that, that I noticed when reading through. There's this dream that John talks about that he has, um, and he's never shared it with anyone before uh, but Sam. And you know, the quote is, I'm walking around down this long, empty hall. My voice echoes all around, but no one answers. So I walk faster, opening doors, shouting names. I don't even know who I'm looking for. Most nights it's my father, but sometimes it's Rob instead, or my little sister, Aria, or my uncle. And, you know, it goes on and on. He talks about how he never finds anyone in his dreams. The castle is completely empty. And then, you know, it eventually leads down to the crypt where the old kings of winter are. And I'm wondering if that's foreshadowing to anything in the future. Nah. When he goes back to Winterfell, should he go back to Winterfell? He should go back to Hogwarts. <laughs> he should go back to Hogwarts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I I mean, is is John particularly gifted with foresight? Is he, he's not much like Bran in this. So maybe this is one of those cases where we can have sort of a casual dream and it not be, you know, the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? Mm. There's always maybe. something to dreams. 
in in fantasy type novels. That's true. So do you think that this is just another one of those showy ones, or is he, or like I said, or is he just trying to like put a dream in there for the dream's sake? Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, I'm interested because isn't um, if Lyanna is related to Jon Snow in any way? Well, I mean, besides his being his aunt. If she's closer to him, like, isn't she buried down there? So she is. he could be afraid of facing his mother or something weird. Maybe. I think he's just afraid of all the shit that's going to be happening. Or maybe it is it is a little bit of foresight or premonition about the war. Like, Arya's going to go into some crazy shit. Rob's going to yep. go into some crazy shit. You know, you're, every, everyone is doing all this crazy stuff. And then maybe at the end of it, you know, pay homage to the kings of winter like he's going to eventually be a ranger or something and he's going to eventually be out there and he's worried about benjen who went under like there's, a lot, there's lots of different things that it could mean yeah well it also says here that you know as he approaches the crypts that i scream that i'm not a stark that this isn't my place but it's no good i have to go anyway so i start down feeling the walls as i descend with no torch to light the way it gets darker and darker until I want to scream. It's because he's a total start. That's some deep shit right there. It is. I have to. I have to have a glass of water. Hold on a second. Yeah, hold on. Let me take a it's sip. That too. deep. Mmm. That was good water. Before we move on to the next chapter, the only other thing that I had was we did get a mention of a character that obviously plays a role in season two, but it's the first time that I've ever, I can remember him being brought up in this. Uh, book and that's corn half hand uh-oh but that's just kind of a side note ominous he's out looking for benjen star yeah can i ask why do you think they keep bringing up benjen all the attention that they're putting toward benjen stark and this is not a spoiler guys you're listening we're all friends here um i feel like it's a little too powerful and obvious for him just to be dead so i personally think he's not dead that's what i think mm-hmm. also dumbledore is not dead so no you can They're use both of those facts and assert your own opinion. Tell me, guys, I have a question for all of you, especially Selena. Have you ever thrown a wicked, crazy party where all your neighbors have brought their best, like, whores and smiths, and have you been not able <laughs> to Selena does that every weekend. <laughs> I, I don't do. you? Don't, aren't just... you friends with her on Facebook? Don't you know? And have you not been able to control the party after it got started? Because that is what this king's or this hands tournament seems to be turning out to be. Are you serious? Yeah, a woman's head was found (laughs) floating in the Great Sept. (laughs) What do you expect? They ate that that priest or whatever he was in season two when they were trying to come back from the. uh, Where were they walking back from? With Joffrey and Sansa, you know what I'm talking about. They ate a priest. Yeah, they like ripped his limbs off. That's bad luck, man. Who did that? Oh, it's after they sent off Marcella and they were walking back. Oh, yeah, they did. That was a riot. Yeah. Is it, well, okay. Well, it's the same people, Eric. Well, the same place. King's they, Landing. They apparently. did. So they found a woman's head floating in the rainbow pool. The rainbow Nobody seems pool. to know how it got there or who it belongs to. I just, very, maybe, very. Maybe she wasn't good at her job. It's a suspicious head floating in the oh, rainbow pool. Maybe she deserved to have her head thrown off and put into the rainbow pool. Sure. It's a very suspicious head, my lord, floating in the rainbow pool. Can, can, we, can, we, can we give it a look? She I don't know what the rainbow deliver on her services that she was paid for, so they cut off the part of the body that wasn't functioning properly. So what you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving that one. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving that one. So, I mean, I thought one of the one of the funniest things in the net chapter um, when they're planning this whole party is that Renly, you know, comes up to to Ned and starts talking about Loras's sister, the whole idea of her being a young Liana. And Ned is, is, is looking at this whole thing and it strikes him as, and I quote, more than passing queer. And I just thought that was hilarious. What does? <laughs> just the whole thing about Renly. You know that Renly was like nervous like and like saving it up. He's like, I can't wait to show Ned this picture of Marguerite. I hope that he thinks it looks like his sister. I've heard so <laughs> many good things about his sister. And he's like, hey, Ned, uh, your hand. Um I just wanted to show you this. Uh, there's this girl that I was thinking about asking out to the tournament for you. And I was wondering if you thought that she, he looked like your sister. And Ned's just looking at it. And he's thinking that stuff. And he's like, nah, it doesn't look like it at all. <laughs> what a jackass thing to do. <laughs> yeah, Ned really has his, his own things to worry about. He can't really worry about Renly's problems. I know, but Renly was just being nice. And he, he really likes Renly, too. <laughs> so that was interesting. He does like Renly, and he actually is wondering if he'll meet or or re, you know be reacquainted with Stannis 
Um, they're talking about Stannis kind of brooding somewhere and whether or not he's going to come to the tournament. Um, which is good because I obviously we know Stannis only from season two, um, you know, in the series. But I'm glad that they're talking about him and and there's some backstory on him. Uh, even about even that bit about how he survived the siege of Storm's End, um, is talked about. Like Ned thinks about it while they're all on. Is it the council or something here? Um, you know, before the uh, before the the tournament. Ned also steps up and becomes more of a detective in this chapter, and you know he starts to enlist some of his own people. Um, to help in this regard and it leads us further and further along into the chapter and we eventually finally get to meet uh gendry for the first time which Yay! was uh yeah we get we, we need we have cheers you know he questioned i'm gonna try to say this guy's name tobo mott so it kind of sounds like an applesauce company um <laughs> tobo mott is is the guy who's hanging out with gendry and teaching him how to make helmets that he wears in questionable times that eventually saves his life and immediately when ned sees gendry he sees the resemblance to the king when he was younger now now remember this this is the same chapter that he shot down the king's brother uh <laughs> looking someone looking like someone else and then when he sees gendry he's like oh shit so we know that ned is is biased or excuse me we know that ned is not biased we know that he's for real like this for real looks like gendry so we can trust his opinion right yeah i love how he gives no indication at all that he he knows that and we don't know it until he leaves and it, just like the last chapter the last line of the chapter is like you know wonder what Robert's bastard is doing on the street of steel or something. And I'm like, Whoa. Yeah. Like he totally knew it was Gendry. He, he asked him like two questions and he knew, um, but that, that was awesome. And he's following in John Aaron's footsteps. You're right, Zach, he's being this detective. And I think how that whole conversation gets started is Ned asks Mott the hoople about, you know, what John Aaron was doing. And he was like, Oh, he, he's, he, he saw He has to see the boy. And Ned doesn't know what he's talking about at all, but he's like, I should like to see the boy as well. <laughs> he's like, yeah, that's why I came here. I'm I just, love what, that. What that boy? I'm, I'm going to see the boy too. I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit uh, worried here for uh, Sherlock Stark, because I think he's starting to sniff down <laughs> the wrong trail. It's nothing to lose your head over right now. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, it shouldn't end up in the rainbow pool or anything. Find yourself <laughs> waiting in the rainbow pool. Please ignore the. <laughs> so is that is that like Renly's residence while he's there? The rainbow pool. That's what he bathes yeah. in on a daily basis. <laughs> well, the next chapter sees you know a very very important chapter about Catelyn, where she finally has that big confrontation with Tyrion that pretty much changes the entire rest of the series. I mean, this chapter. This is what is this is in my opinion the catalyst for everything else that happens and what happens at this inn at the crossroads, which by the way is also a really awesome cookbook. Um <laughs> This is really this this what? like it is, is it, it is. Someone made a fan cookbook, it's amazing. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um yeah, Inn at the Crossroads is pretty cool. Um but not only because singer Marillion is introduced, who might pop up later in the story. Is he part of Bone Thugs and Harmony? Yeah, he is actually. Possibly is. No, but this chat, I mean, this this moment in the series, if Catelyn doesn't, didn't make the choices that she did, I would argue that nothing that bad would have happened. But this is pretty, and it's funny because you you start this chapter going to this inn, seeing these people sitting around eating and singing and all that, that and you just think, once this war breaks out, all that is gone. We know that the inn is destroyed, that the, the woman who, who, whatever her name was, she's hanged. We know that all this terrible stuff happens. And it's just like a perfect example that right now the world is harsh, but it's okay. After this, it's just hell from here on out. Forever. Well, thanks for putting in perspective for me, yeah, Selena, because really... I, I just thought this was a passing chapter where oh, no. some cool shit happens at the end. Yeah. Um, but well, I didn't realize that point this for... decision would adversely affect Catelyn's, you know, and, and the whole view of the Starks, even as you alluded mm -hmm. to. Well, it changes, like, like she's saying, if it wasn't for Cat uh, seizing Tyrion in this chapter, there would have been no actual war. Like, there was no war declared yeah. by the Starks yet, you know, on, on the, the Lannisters. Like, if this shit didn't happen, there would have been no crazy fighting. They wouldn't have taken Tyrion captive to the Vale, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It would have, it would have been much different. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be the first to defend Catelyn because, I mean, she was undercover, essentially, not wanting to get involved. And Tyrion, you know, without thinking, it also, I guess it wasn't completely his fault, but, you know, she, she just reacts defensively because she's there as, I mean, 
you know, they're there as father and daughter. Catelyn sees Tyrion walk in. He's like, oh, Lady Stark, da 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 And she has no choice but to immediately remind the other men, I think it's up to like 12 guys in the place, that they have sworn their swords to, um, you know, the, the Stark or, or uh, yeah, I believe it's just the Starks. Um, you know, all the bannermen, and she calls the bannermen to seize Tyrion. But ultimately, she 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 didn't want to... She, I, I guess she wouldn't have done that if he hadn't pointed her out, you know? Because she was just trying to, you know, lay low in a place and, and, and seek shelter while she moved north. This uh, entire scene, like, seemed like an Old West movie to you guys. Like, they just arrived <laughs> in the same smoky, dimly lit Western saloon. Tyrion and his boys are on this side. Cat's, you know, incognito with Sir Roderick. And Tyrion notices her. And I just thought it was so, like, sly how she did the entire thing. Yeah. Like, the entire time she was like, so, do you guys, like, you know, love my family? And she starts going on about all these people that have allegiance to them. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Well, well, this guy, while he was staying at my house, consorted with enemies to have my son stabbed or cut by a knife. And then she holds her hands up. This didn't happen. And she goes, and look at my hands, you know, for proof. <laughs> they're and all they're sweaty. bleeding. Yeah. And then it all happens. It's just, I feel like it was such a showdown, like a real one. It, it really was. was. And Tyrion saw it coming only like a little too late where he's like, uh, I'm not sure what the meaning of this is. You know, he says that to her. He's like getting freaked out at this point because she's just rallying off all the people who are like loyal to her, like for seemingly no reason. And he's kind of like, I think it has some inkling, obviously. You know, these two strangers cross on the road and they know each other and they have that history of ha- her son nearing nearly having just died. Um, but he's 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 very I think he's 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 freaked out. Do you think he could have put up a fight, though? You know, do you think his men really could have held him off or could he have could he have paid them all off not to attack him? Because you saw what they did when he tossed that gold coin. You know, this other guy gave up his own room as if there was like another inn right next door, which there's not on the King's Road. I guess that raises the question, though. I mean, are you bound by honor are you and allegiance or are you bound by money? Mm, yeah, you're bound by honor. Okay, or it's like a mixture of both, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's it's at the discretion of the 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 family or the person. But, you know, because I, I, I think we see that a lot throughout the series, you know, kind of where do allegiances lie? You know? Maud. <laughs> Maud. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're right, though. And, you know, like, it's not like Tyrion was traveling with a whole bunch of soldiers that were on his side. Like, he had Yorn with him, which is pretty, he's pretty neutral, you know? Like, I think that Tyrion could have put up an actual, like, real big fight if he would have just been like, hey, my sister's the queen, you know, and, like, just really try <laughs> to, like, pull his name out there and promise people money like he did with the tribes people. Like, I feel like it would have been a little different, but uh, he was he was pretty screwed in this moment. And I don't think he was really thinking clearly. I do. I do like the sort of the, the, the kick ass moment that Catelyn has, you know, knowing where it all leads. That's kind of it's, it's kind of bittersweet. But just for her as a character, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, like I said, it was just a big ass showdown and she owned mm-hmm. him so hard. Oh, yeah. And isn't that really how? Did one of the episodes ended it really it really did and i think that's that's one of the reasons why it's such an it's such a, a memorable moment isn't it because that was the moment when i remember watching the show going yeah you know uh-huh. win for the starks and then half a season later i was like oh crap <laughs> should have done that <laughs> you're like wait i love Tyrion. screw you i don't like you Catelyn. you're you're mean <laughs> No, it's true though. This whole part of the book, and I, I, I would say the book, and I mean this whole part of the story, the show and the book included, was really exciting just to watch because you're mid-season or you're mid-book, and it's the first book or it's the first show, and like especially for me having watched the show first, I feel like I was getting introduced to so many people and so many cool things, and knowing finally we have the chapter where we're sitting with Sansa, and it's from her perspective, and we're watching pieces of the tournament, and I thought. You know, being able to meet the different people and to see the king being drunk in public and to see like these bets go down and stuff. It was so cool to get just another layer added on top of the story and to see that it was going to be much more than just small conflicts and drama. Mm -hmm. Agreed. There is this grand nature to the to the tournament. I mean, it spans these two chapters we see from two different perspectives, but we hear about so many more people. You know, the mountain and the hound both fight, uh, you know, first individually and then even each other and their brothers and and. All this stuff happens. It's it's very epic. It's very epic, and it's it's amazing how he's 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 still able to 
uh, write this and maintain the perspective and not and it have it not feel weird. You know, it still feels like we're getting it from Sansa's perspective. And, you know, again, with with Ned, he has each of the characters, I guess, occupied doing their own thing during these events. But we still get quite a lot of coverage. And I think it's the first time that we actually see a glimpse of Sansa being something more than just a vapid little bird, you know, as as Sander calls her later in the chapter, because she has that moment when she's sitting at the tournament and it's all beautiful and flowers and colors and what have you. And then she sees her first man die right in front of her. And she has that moment when she feels nothing. You know, Jane Poole, her friend, has to be led away because she's in hysterics. And Sansa is just like, huh. I know I should so feel something, but I like. don't. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of the, you know, she's, she's made of tough stuff. You know, she's a Stark, despite the fact that she is really hard to like in these first couple of chapters. I'm not going to lie. You know, there, there's substance there. There's a reason that we're going to really enjoy her later. I thought it was really cool when the entire stuff with Loras happened and he gave her the red rose and, you know, pulled out that line. Because, again, on top of all of that, it makes Sansa look so much less innocent than she is because mm-hmm. she's getting seen by these other people. And she's, I don't know, I feel like that's not a really a little kid moment. And then someone dies. <laughs> yes. I, I felt like, um, I just made the comparison to The Hunger Games where uh, they say that Peter makes Katniss desirable by saying that he, de- you know, desires her. But, like, yeah. that kind of made Sansa look good when she got the flower. She got a rose. All the other flowers were white. And she got the red rose from Sir Loras. Yeah. Um, you know, so so yeah, she's she's turning some heads. I think she's turned not Septa Mordaines though. She's no Septa is too busy drunk and snoring. Yeah, she's she's out. She's out. For, yeah. she's down for the count. Although that's later, I think she had to take Jane away. And she ca- she catches the attention, Sansa, of um, of Baelish as well in this chapter. And you know what I realized when I was reading this about how Baelish is all like, oh, you have your mother's look. I was like, Baelish is to Sansa what Snape would have been like to Harry had Harry been a girl. Yeah. Am I right? Is that not right? No, no, it's like, so it's totally right. Except creepy that affection. Baelish really likes Sansa. But, yeah, but I think I, Sansa Snape would have really liked Harry too. Yeah. Yeah. If he was a girl, like if he was a little Lily, I think he would have had that same. It would have been a completely oh, different novel than totally he creepy, <laughs> inappropriate. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Lily. Snape with his pointed beard. Oh, yes. Har- Harriet Potter. Oh, my God. We Harriet just started Potter. a new story. No, we've we done a muggle cast on that. Oh, okay. Was it Harriet that you oh. guys used? I think, yeah, we said something like that. Oh, okay. Well, great minds. Okay. Yeah, great minds. Great minds. Totally, totally an instance of great minds. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Littlefinger was kind of awkward, but I guess in the next chapter, he then is taking or placing bets. So he seemed to recover, I guess, from whatever it was that he was feeling when he approached Sansa. <laughs> yes. But I think it's it's an interesting opening to that story because Sansa sort of so wrapped up in her handsome knights and suddenly this short, weird man is standing in front of her completely enthralled and she's really put off by it. But I think it's funny that this is the guy that she's probably going to have more interaction with than most of those knights around her. Yeah. This is the this is the first time that we see Littlefinger after hearing about, in the previous chapter, how Catelyn and her, you know, when she was young, fed him mud pies. <laughs> so, so many that he got sick. So I was just like, I was feeling bad for the guy. And then he comes up and is like, Touching Sansa's hair and stuff, and I was like, "Yeah, but again, guys, is that weird that in that time or in this story, at least, her age was pretty acceptable, right?" Yeah, thirteen. As soon right? as she flowers, she's ready to marry. She's breeding age. Like, oh god, that's some stuff. But hey, I mean, whatever. But I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think that Baelish is something that she's trying to go after because, like, Joffrey, he's like he's he's a prince. He might be a little shitbag, but I mean, he's a prince. He's an eligible bachelor, if you will. And he sits with Sansa and makes her and makes her heart skip a beat. And so I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think that really the probably only other thing that may have made her heart skip a beat is the person dying. But we're it's pretty clear that she doesn't care about that. I thought so. that made me think less of her. The fact that she wasn't moved by his by his death. Um, you know, like the fact that she's so giddy about Sir Loras and so giddy about Joffrey and so breathtaking and taken aback. And then this, this knight dies in front of her or the squire dies in front of her. And she's just like, ah, okay. I I think it's trying to paint the context that she is not only strong, but she's also very shallow and sort of fits in with the women there in King's Landing. Like the people of lesser people, non-highborn, their, their deaths are, are, I don't know, it's just not as big of a deal to them. Like that's why they're a 
able to see things like wars and tournaments and have lesser people die and they don't really let allow it to phase them. I guess she's yeah. just really good at fitting in. You know, yeah. and that's what that's what Sander says as well. She's a little bird who repeats the words that she's learned and it's why I think in season two someone says to her, You're gonna outlive us all because she can do that. She can, she's just like a chameleon. So when when he's escorting her home he finally uh, tells the story of his face. It, it's told by Baelish, right, in the uh, in the TV series, which kind of sets like an ominous tone over the whole tournament when he's sitting there talking about how, you know, th- this really distant relationship was created between these two brothers, though it seems like they were always distant with each other. They never really got along very well. And that, you know... Um, the mountain actually is responsible for his brother looking the way that he does. And there doesn't seem to be any love loss, any remorse between the two of them. If anything, they seem to really hate each other. Also, he should be jealous of his brother's nickname. He's called the mountain. He's called the hound. I know. One's going to be, one's going to win more. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the, not even the mountain, the mountain that rides. I thought that like, was Hodor's. Um, yeah. Name. <laughs> no, but the mountain is 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 bigger than even that, Hodor. Hodor's the mountain that carries other mountains. Like this is, we just discovered that the mountain actually rides Hodor. That's the only way he's able to get around and to move the entire mountain. Otherwise, they're pretty equal. Yeah, I don't know. The hound like lashes out at Sansa. I wasn't at first. I wasn't liking that at all. He's like really angry with her about her being polite about it all. She was like, "Oh, nobody could withstand him." Da da da. da. She's talking about um, the mountain, and he just like flips out and kind of wants to tell, wants to vilify his brother, I think, in front of Sansa, and so tells her the story of sibling, like, uh, what's what's the word, jealousy or envy, where, you know, as boys, uh, the mountain got this, this wooden knight, and the hound wanted it, so he took it, and then his brother held him, his face to the embers for a very long time. And it took three men to pull him away. Like, that's insane. But at the same time, it's not entirely lost. Like, the the moral of it, like, at the end of the chapter, she pities him. Um, You know, they walk silently home, the rest of it all. But still, like, it made me think of Sansa and Arya arguing. How neither, neither of them would hold the other's face to the flames and disfigure them for life. Right. Um so they have that over a toy, no less. Yeah, I've kind of had the same happen to me over a Mortal Kombat fight on the Super Nintendo, but it wasn't <laughs> fire; it was other stuff. So, I mean, yeah, it gets crazy with brothers. Did you get squishied after Mortal Kombat? I've gotten lots of things after Mortal Kombat and Tekken yeah. Three. Who was your favorite player in which game? Mortal Kombat, the original. Uh, Sub Zero or Raiden? I think. Yeah, yeah. Those two were the best. I think we can all agree. They're pretty good. Scorpions, meh. And the rest of them. I, I, Liu Kang is like, oh, I love everyone. I like Liu Kang. It's like, well, who cares? He's, he's the main <laughs> character. I'm, I'm going to go for the guy from the underworld. And he shoots ice out of his hands. Right out of his palms. Speaking of ice. Speaking of fire and ice. And fire. Um, wow. Yeah. You mean ice and fire? Yeah, that's what I meant. I meant to say that. Yeah, just changed it up a bit. Let's yeah, we're just mixing it up. <laughs> yeah, so the big, the big, obviously the big thing that happens, we talked about this before, the big thing that happens that night is Robert gets very, very drunk and, uh, not volunteers, he declares that he will be fighting the next day. And Circe is like, no, I forbid it. And he's like, woman, you know, get back in your cage. And he, like, slams it, and then there's, like, this big scene. Now, Ned was woken in the middle of the night um, and told about this proclamation of Roberts, that he was going to fight the next day. And so his first order of business in the morning is to talk Robert out of it. <laughs> He's like, no, man, you got really big. <laughs> yeah. And this was tough, but it, it, it established kind of even better, not established, it kind of reinforced the relationship between Robert and Ned, the fact that Ned is able to go up to him and say, hey, look, man, you're too fat for your armor. Like... <laughs> What the hell? And Ned, like, storms ar- or Robert storms around, and then he's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Stormer needs to be let out a little bit more. Why, why do you think that Robert wants to fight? What do you think he's trying to achieve by this? Do you think he's just, like, trying to show off for Ned? Or I believe it's fairly obvious that he's sick and tired of doing the political game and being the king. Mm. I think he wants to be the kind of person that he was with Ned and Ned's doing nothing but remind him of the kind of people that they were. Yeah. hundred percent. There's a, there's a line I pulled up for my notes and it says, this is Robert talking. He says, I swear to you, I was never so alive as when I was winning this throne or so dead as now that I've won it. Mm, yeah. It's sad. I think that pretty much says it like, yeah, he wants to be 
that boy, that like that 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 young man again uh, with Ned, like Ned coming to Winter uh, King's Landing, just reminds him of who he was. Like we just said, um, he he wants it back, and I think the years and years of dealing with the Lannisters and the politics, you know, this is all he said it before too about uh, sitting the throne, um, you know, being being uh, a great burden, but it's really wearing him out and. He even blames it for his, I want to say obesity, but he, he blames it for his, you know, eating and drinking so much. Um, the fact that he's too fat for his armor, he blames it all on the fact that he was made king and it should have been Ned or somebody else. And Ned says, oh, but you had the best claim. So which, there is that. Which is interesting yeah. in itself. Do you think that Ned would ever have taken the, the throne? Because I was always under the impression that he was fighting for Robert always. You mean like, did they? do you think they just, they decided long before the Battle of the Trident that it was going to be Robert, who mm-hmm. was who they were essentially campaigning for? Yeah, they were like, let's kill the old king so Robert can take the throne. Right, it was, was never like, let's kill the old king so that one of us can take the throne and mm-hmm. we'll figure it out once he's dead. I think that... It's pretty clear. It's been made pretty clear that Robert was obviously like the coolest guy. Like he was like the strongest. He was the most like versatile. He was the most well liked. And I think that maybe Ned was probably a little bit too, um, what's the word, introverted compared to mm-hmm. Robert. So Robert was probably the obvious choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree exactly with what you said. And and there's sort of this period of reflection really for for Robert where he's sitting there and he's talking about, you know, um, Loris Tyrell. And what a great, uh, you know, warrior he really is and how he would be proud to have a son like that. He even talks about Joffrey and says, you know, basically, how could I have produced that, you know, yeah. and how, how could I have made a son like that? You know, he he, he looks at him as this little prat, this little. Draco you know, Malfoy. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's exactly how he looks at him. And, and then yeah. he looks at some of the other, you know, young men that are fighting in this tournament and, and how he would really you know, be proud to call any of them son. But Joffrey, he looks at as being just kind of a weak link. The tournament is such an odd thing to throw into the story. And it's not odd in the sense of a negative connotation, but it was, I feel like it was so smart and, and pivotal, not as pivotal as the scene with Kat and Tyrion, but pivotal in the sense that we're introducing so many different characters and so many different families that if we set our deduction points to done now we can understand sort of and just guess what's going to happen for the rest of the story because even stannis isn't there and that's questionable he's the brother of the king and the hand is getting is celebrating a new second in command of the whole kingdom and he's not there yeah but even as you were saying about introducing characters there's a point where they're walking down and all the house sigils are mentioned like of the entire realm yeah you know that apparently that there's what there's a house with two towers as their as their thing, the two um, towers and lots of fruit and lots of animals. That's all I gathered from that whole long paragraph. <laughs> so the crazy scene that happened in the show actually did happen in the book, and we got to read it. The mountain the ride loses to Loras. <laughs> I'm not going to read your copy, Eric. <laughs> no, oh man, loses to Loras, um, and Loras is horse, and so the mountain gets pissed because he's the mountain, and Loras is like this really talented dude who's also attractive, and it just makes people mad sometimes. And he slaughters his own horse. Now, in the show, I feel like the people that I've watched the show with have become more shocked at something like that than they were at people getting stabbed or shadows coming out of people's holes. Like, I feel like <laughs> the part where he cuts his own horse's head off was like the craziest thing people have seen so far. This was sad. This was it's when I cried. There, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't cry during the Sam chapter, but I cried when he cut his own horse's head off. No, you did off. not. No, you did not. Okay. You call bullshit fine. I'll I'll see bullshit. But I I really did feel more bad for the horse than I did for Sam in the previous chapter. Right. You have like to feel bad for the horses because it's not their fault. Like that's the whole point of why it's so sad when animals die in stories because they're not they're not fighting. They're just like, oh, I'm going to go eat some hay today. And they're like, no, you're going to run into this ring and I'm going to spear you. But we'll give yeah. you hay later. They're like, okay, <laughs> fine. If you survive. Is there hay later? <laughs> no, not for, not for you because you got stabbed by a sword down your neck. Exactly, it's hard to be a horse. So he decides to kill the the person that was riding the horse afterward, and uh, you know it makes total sense. That's just logistically where your mind would go afterward. And then his bro steps in, and they start to fight to the death, which I feel is just a spectacle that we should be, we should be able to watch. And Robert let us watch it a little bit before he broke it up, which I thought was very funny. 
And I think that we solidified the reason why he is the king, because he has the loudest voice in the room. And he yells, and they could hear it all the way to Karth, and that was the end of that fight. <laughs> that 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 duck sauce is like, what the hell was that? What was that? <laughs> he like looks up, and it's uh, it's just Robert's voice from afar. Yeah, in a world without Sonoris, you really need somebody like Robert to lead. Right. It's, it's strange, though. The Hound, the Hound has really weird uh, motivations in these chapters, because first he tells Sansa his life story for, like, no reason, and now he goes in and saves Loras. Like, why Loras? I think he saw that opportunity to defy his brother. That's that's sure. It's a good point. But do you think, like, what would have happened? Let's just hypothetical. I know none of us can really answer this. But what do you think would have happened to the mountain if he had killed Loras? Like, would he have been dishonored? Because obviously that's a very dishonorable thing to do as a knight. Not only to slay your own horse after a battle, but then to flip out and go and try and kill the other knight. Um, I think House Tyrell probably would have had an issue. I think they would have drowned him in the rainbow pool. Can you drown the uh, the mountain that rides? Can you even get close? Rinley would have kicked his ass because Rinley's mm-hmm. a badass. I think Rinley would have stepped down and just destroyed some shit. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. The mountain seems immovable almost, except for the fact that he rides. But this clash, you know, the Hound and the Mountain, was exciting to read. And you're right; his motives are questionable. Like after he tells Sansa that at the end of that chapter, he says. You know, you tell anybody, and she's like, I won't. He's like, anybody, and I'll kill you. <laughs> it's like, oh. So why do you even why do you even put yourself in that situation where some little girl knows your secret? Like, he's a very interesting character. He's, like, on my top three most wanting to know more about at this point. Um, the fact that he stands in for Loras. Loras was completely defenseless. Anybody, really, even though, you know, having just won a joust or, or whatever it was, completely defenseless when that when the mountain decides that he, he or it wants to kill you. Um, you know... Only the Hound can stand up to him. And that, I saw like a really, um, you know, coming together of, of that, that childhood story, you know, these brothers um, who have this rivalry going. And the Hound wants to prove that he's like almost as good as the Mountain now or can stand up to him, whereas before he was just defenseless. So after the uh, the Mountain and the Hound go at it for a little while, uh, Ned is able to uh, go and relax in his chambers and... Uh, you know, he he comes across uh, Arya, who he learns from. Uh, you know, her dancing lessons are improving a bit, and he seems a little bit hesitant at first, though. Um, you know, the the fact that she she has physical bruises on her from you know all the the training that's been going on. So I, I think Ned is a little bit hesitant uh, that uh, you know basically Sirio is is taking some liberties with her. Um, but I think it's Arya who, who says, you know, that you don't learn anything, um, you know, unless you walk away from these lessons with at least one bruise or something to that effect. Um, yeah. I, I can't remember the exact line, but basically that it's evidence that you worked hard and that you're learning in some way. I, I like that Ned's relaxing and doing his thing and he's sort of having, he's doing what we've all done in the past, but he's just like, <sighs> All right, what the hell's going on? So he starts remembering everything, and he starts thinking about all the stuff that he has learned and uh, what has led up and what has caused the reason for John Aaron's death. And all of these things are swimming through his head. And uh, there's a knock at the door, and we are visited by a certain insect. Instead of smelling like perfume or whatever uh, Varys normally smells like, now he just smells like sweat. Probably an improvement. (laughs) Maybe he's working out. Ned gets a visit from Varys, and this is an, a very, very interesting conversation that they have because Varys literally outright like justifies the first half of this or the first third of this book. Um, you know, basically, there's 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 two things Varys tells Ned. The first is that there is like currently ongoing a conspiracy to kill Robert, um, and and this is said, um, you know, basically by Varys talking to Ned about Robert's pride and how, you know, by Cersei saying, I forbid you to go fight in this battle. It's not that she was like his hurt wife. By forbidding Robert to do anything, that's the first thing he's going to do is be defiant and jump right into the battle. So Varys is suggesting that all these people, uh, that it was apparently that Robert was supposed to be killed during the melee that that broke a lot of fingers um, earlier in the day. And... That, to me, is shocking that, that Varys can be so, uh, I want to say, candorous to, to Ned about this. But apparently, until now, Varys wasn't sure he could trust Ned um, until today. So, I guess that's why. 
But we do get a lot of answers from Varys. You know what we also get in uh, in this is that by the end of the chapter, Varys actually tells Ned straight out, um, I wouldn't be able to bring this conspiracy to the king because they would have my head. You know, Sir Ilan Payne would have my head off. But for you, I think, no, I know that Ilan Payne would even defy the Lannisters and not be able to chop your head off. Which, of course, is a blatant lie. I mean, I doubt that Varys actually believes that Ilan Payne would not kill Ned. And the funny thing is, is that that's exactly what he does. It's just, it's it's interesting that he would come straight out. First of all, it's great foreshadowing. And second, it's Varys is clearly lying to him, which I think is interesting. Because then we can't trust anything he says. But I wouldn't yeah. say I wouldn't say he was clearly lying. I didn't think he was no, lying. I don't see. That's what really? I wonder because you know, obviously events play themselves out, and and Robert meets um, you know an untimely end in the next couple of chapters. But I wonder if Ned was able to tell Robert in enough time, would Varys have you know kept the allegiance sort of with Ned and Robert, and you know things played out that way as opposed to you know, really sort of towing the Lannister line, um, which we learn he does later on. Well, it's just the thing that he says about Ilan Payne being so loyal or respectful of Ned that he wouldn't chop his head off, even if it was a direct order. Um, Yeah. But reading this book and not knowing who Ilan Payne is from the series, I don't think that it's a lie at this point. Reading reading it at this point, I think that Varys is being genuine. Only because I don't know any better. I think that uh, Varys is being very forthcoming. And so, I mean, are you suggesting that he's revealing this plot on on, on Robert's head so that Ned goes and, and gets himself killed too? I think Not it's blat- blatantly obvious that he's going to say lots of things to twist Ned's head around. Because that's the kind of mm-hmm. character that we've been introduced. Like, that's what we've been told the kind of person that he is. So to say that Ilan Payne wouldn't chop his head off because he respects him so much, I want to be like, dude, that's some bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not necessarily because he wants Ned to fail in this. It's just he he wants Ned to do a certain thing and he's going to say whatever he wants, like like you said, Zach, to get him to do that. And I think that saying to him, even though we don't know this at this point, knowing what we know later, we know now, reading this back, who Ellen Payne is. We know it as well as, as Varys knows it. And I think that Varys very well knows that Ellen Payne would not hesitate to chop anyone's head off. But if he can make, make Ned believe it, then he, he can make him lose that fear for whatever purpose. I feel like you're getting this look at Varys, though, you know, and he's such a player in this game. You know, he may be the ultimate player in this game. But the question is why? You know, what is his motivation? I don't know. Well, I guess I mean, we like still I said, haven't I, figured I, that out yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he was very forthcoming. I mean, he, he basically says, like, there's this whole development these past two chapters where uh, Ned was going to interview the squire that Sansa watched die in the tourney. And then we learned from Varys that that kid is actually the very squire who uh, poisoned John Aaron. And, and furthermore... Varys tells Ned exactly how John Aaron was, in fact, poisoned by the tears of Lys or whatever they are. Yeah, I mean, I just never understand with, with characters like Varys and Baelish, why not kill them? You know, it, it's it, they're more trouble than they're worth, and they're obviously trying to fulfill their own agenda, but it doesn't seem like no matter who's talking about them, nobody trusts them. Don't you see what they're doing for themselves? And I've seen... I mean, this happens in real life all the time, but what they've done is they've both made of, because they're very similar people, they've both made monstrous efforts to becoming important with Ned, almost indispensable with Ned. And I'm sure they've done that with every person on their own. They make themselves valuable to these people. These people depend on them for information or for yada, yada, yada. And they couldn't dream of this person betraying them. Like they basically are just too smart for their own good. And they're just sucking up to people. So no one's just going to go kill them because they're, they've all have, they have some kind of value to these other brutish people that maybe aren't as sharp in the wit department. That's a good point. Yeah. I like it. Me too. So, uh, I don't want to say that that's my own of the week, but we are crawling to that point to where it's time for us to share those owns of the week. And if you haven't caught on at this point yet, all of us are dead asleep, uh, especially Selena, who's 
what it's like 17 a.m. or something like what time is it over there yeah we have crazy times like that so it's actually 75 oh 75 a.m. so it's <laughs> nuts i'm in a different time zone erickson we're, we're none of us this time are in any different or any time zones that are similar so that's my own of the week we're pulling it off this time oh, wow that's good. Well, it remains to be seen if we pulled it off, but I have yeah, confidence. We're getting there. So who wants yeah. to go first with their own? Uh, I'll go so that nobody takes it. There you um, go. That woman's head, the unknown woman's <laughs> head, totally owned the rainbow pool. There you go. Aww. Perfect. For me, it has to be in the first chapter that John totally owned the other boys and uh, kept John safe because, no, oh, because kept Sam safe because, oh, their bromance yeah. is amazing. Aww. Yeah. They did. They did well. They melted the wall of my heart. Oh, they, they melted melt your heart. Swedish heart. Yes. Oh, but my heart is melted. Okay, sorry guys. Okay. Mine comes from the chapter that we just read. By uh, it's said by Robert. He says, "Ah, say that I'm a better king than Eris and be done with it. You never could lie for love nor honor, Ned Stark. I'm still young, <laughs> and now that you're here with me, things will be different." We'll, we'll make this a rain to sing of and damn the Lannisters to seven hells. I smell bacon. <laughs> <laughs> it was really just because of that I smell bacon. Line. Yeah, I, I, I gathered that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, mine is sort of like Selena's. Um, my own of the week is not on the boys. Rather, my own of the week is on Alistair Thorne because those boys... Actually, it's from John to Thorne because John, having been mistreated by this guy so much, has taken this guy's training session and has turned it into a couple of like children just standing there saying, no, I don't want to hit him. No. Like, <laughs> so he's totally owned this guy who's like an adult and this is his full time job. This is his honor and shit. Like he's the guy who trains people and the people he's training, his recruits, just just do not want to fight. And like John's got like this mob boss, like tight clinch over them. Like, Hey, I'll kick your ass if you don't essentially. So yeah, good stuff. No one touches him. It's like cheating. If you use your dire wolf, if you use a wolf to write us, uh, owns of the week, then we'll probably not read them on the show because they won't be legible by English or Swedish handwriting, which is the only two languages that we're able to read. And I don't believe that Google translate has listed dire Wolfian yet. But we're probably within a few months of that. Oh, and they should. If you want to be hot on the trail of all those updates can, um, involving dire Wolfian language transcription, you can find them at gameofowns.com because that's probably something that we would easily write about. Speaking of um, of owns, I just want to give an update to uh, Johanna from Sweden. She has officially made me an honorary Swede. I so saw thank that. Thank you very much. I'm very honored. Are you guys going to hang out? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you guys could eat like uh, Turkish Swedish delight, meatballs, even though yeah. it's not in Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> also, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter for all the latest owns and for news about when the shows are released and coming out and being recorded. We are at twitter.com slash game of owns. You can find each of our individual uh, Twitter handles on the website. And also we have a Facebook at facebook.com slash game of owns. And if you want to email us, you can do that at contact at game of And you can find me on hypable.com, H-Y-P-A-B-L-E.com, um, which is just a fantastic resource for anything and everything fandom wise. And we've got so many podcasts these days that you can check out and a forums at forum.hypable.com. I'm in the forum. I've been. I've written a few forum posts, Selena. You're in the forum. Are you trolling our forum? I wasn't trolling. I've written a few <laughs> posts. I'm a That's part of the community. Great. Go stalk Zach in the forums. Yeah, you'll find some really interesting shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, the forums are great. Uh, there's a lot of you guys in the in the forum talking about Game of Owns and respective threads. We're reading it, guys, and we uh, we love you and. It's probably a little strong to come out and say that, but I just got to tell you how my feelings are. I'm just going to be real with you. <laughs> so that's how I feel. And of course, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, we appreciate your five-star reviews. <laughs> Nothing less, of course, is acceptable. And uh, this week, uh, if you fail to uh, give us a five-star rate and review, you will be forced to milk. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Half a gallon <laughs> of milk. Actually, you know what? Let me change that. Hold on a sec. You'll be forced to suck half a gallon of milk oh, no. from Lysa Aaron's left tit. And oh, before, <laughs> before you start thinking that that's some you know, great prize, that real estate's not what it used to be. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, oh 
my god, she's the one who still nurses like her never kids, happened right? In your life, you know that you should listen to Micah and continue to listen to Game of Bones, this podcast. I need coffee. I'm Zach Willie. I'm gonna trust that Micah knows as much as he says he does about real estate, and I'm Eric Skull. I need sleep, and I'm Selena Wilkin, and to fix my Skype. Fix your what? Exactly. My Skype. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Micah Tenenbaum. Goodbye, everybody. Later. Later.